Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 20th of March 2009. I advise newcomers look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. We can download lots of previous talks I've given on the big picture of that which runs the world. The big real government, and it really is one too, that runs the world already, has been for a long time, international group who basically run international banks, dictate politics and policies to all the nations, and who want their global society, a perfect global society, where there's going to be a front organization as the government for the whole world, and of course a planned society, like family planning, one big global village where we're all on family planning, you might say. I try to give you information from their own documents and books by some of the bigger players or front men that have used down through history to voice their opinions to the public because they do need our cooperation. And you'll find amongst the public too, there's a lot of people on board because they have no minds of their own. They like the idea of a utopia. It sounds nice and very, it's like a perpetual childhood where someone above you is always going to be, be making the big decisions for you and you don't have to worry your pretty little head, just enjoy yourself, watch soaps and sports, and you'll be quite okay. That's the sad truth of it. Also look into Alan AlanWattSentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks I give, which you can print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. You can pass them around to your friends as well. You can also keep me going by buying my books and discs from CuttingToTheMatrix.com website. And you can also donate as well. That, that trickles in, and that's how I survive and what I'm doing. I don't ask money from the advertisers. And I depend upon you, the listeners, to keep me ticking along here. And that's all it is, ticking, until there's no more ticks left. Then there'll be no more speech, and freedom of speech is, is going down the tubes fast very fast. There are very few stations on this planet that can allow people to give alternate points of view outside the mainstream. And RBN is one of them. There are very, very few. Most countries don't have these kinds of networks available to the public where you can pretty well say what you want. I've often said that nothing happens in this world on a large scale by accident. I don't fall for the fact that it's just big money at play and greed and corruption. That's all part of it, but that's on a lower level. The boys at the top do know what they're doing. They don't leave things to chance. And it's like the IPPC, that's the, the United Nations group of scientists, paid scientists that are all cheerleaders, basically, who turn up the desired reports on global warming and all the coming catastrophes that spew out of their specially built computers. I call them crisis computers. They're guaranteed to give you a crisis no matter what you feed in. And you also have the ones to do with 
genetic manipulation of all the foods. It's astonishing, isn't it, that really no country has put everything on a slow investigative journey into genetic engineering of foods. As seeing Canada, we didn't find out that we were even getting tested for it. They were using it on the population of Canada for 10 years. 10 years went by before it leaked out of Britain that we were the test guinea pigs for the rest of the world to see what effects would have on the human body. And by the way, they haven't given us any results on that yet. Although if you ask your pharmacist what's popular these days, it gives you a clue. And we talk about this when I come back. It's a very important topic after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix and before the break I was talking about the modified food and how Canadians were the guinea pigs because the government admitted later that it made a secret deal with the big companies, GMO boys to grow the stuff and put it out into the food supply and of course the government obviously was monitoring the health effects on the public and it was about the same time in fact that they admitted they had a supercomputer in Ottawa that was linked to all facilities across Canada. And since we have a sort of a kind of a, it really is a national health service type system, all data on medical records was fed in, along with every other bit of personal information, of course, long before 9-11 came along. And they could obviously take count of the side effects and what was on in the increase and the decrease and all the rest of it. But if you ask your pharmacist what's popular today, he'll tell you it's all the antacids and the acid suppressant agents that are just getting smacked and whacked off the shelves since, basically, these foods came in. Because they added all kinds of foreign genes to them, genes from insects and animals and who knows, maybe even humans for all we know. We'll never ever get the real story to it, but why would, as I say, bio-warfare experts be involved in making your food? Because that's what these guys at the top are all about. That's what they were set up many years ago, was to do with genetical engineering for warfare purposes. That should make us all wonder and worry. And we do know that they want to depopulate the planet and bring them down to a safe, manageable level and then create new types of humans. That's been in all the science magazines for the last few years, quite openly. It's like something out of science fiction, but why should it be, since science fiction is only the programming for what's to come? This article here is from theguardian.co.uk. Now remember that every newspaper now has its green specialist, their environment specialist, you see. So they make their bread and butter, these characters who write these stories, on the scare tactic. So you always really wonder why is there another ulterior motive for this particular article, etc., etc. Especially recently when they had all these uh, fear mongers together at the World Climate Change Group. Uh, and they literally admitted they were all told to put out the worst case scenarios across the world because all their funding depends on, on fear, you see. Keep the whole thing going. And since the Club of Rome decided in the 1970s that this was going to be the agenda. Man was at war against the planet. The planet was at war against him. 
therefore man was the enemy idea. In their own book, which they published in the 90s, they admitted in the 70s, they dreamed up the idea of global warming. Then we know that, that a lot is counting on this global warming and weather climate change idea to change the whole world and the way we behave. It's really a form of control over the entire planet, right down to the individual. As to, to whatever you do, will be tied in with the environment, you see. So as I say, be careful when you read these articles. And this is one. This is by John Vidal, who is an environment editor. He's bread and butter, right? But it's about GMO food. He says, the world's leading crop scientists have warned that a deadly airborne fungus could, could, right, devastate wheat harvests and lead to famines and civil unrest over significant regions of Central Asia and Africa. The UG-99, so-called because it was first seen in Uganda in 1999, is a new variety of an old crop disease. A new variety of an old crop disease. So is that modified, maybe? Called stem rust, which spread from Africa to Iran and has blighted wheat production in many parts of the world for thousands of years. It was first seen in 1999, but they see here it blighted wheat production for many, for thousands of years. It's fantastic. These scientists are amazing characters. It says the fungus was thought to have largely disappeared since the 1960s when disease-resistant varieties were developed and widely planted in both the West and in developing countries. We're talking about modified stuff. To scientists meeting in Mexico to exchange information of the UG99 or 99 are alarmed because the new disease specifically targets resistance genes in wheat. As a result, it's now believed that 80 per 90 percent of all wheat varieties grown in developing countries are susceptible to the fungus. Now, here's the kicker. You see, anyone who's followed the GM food, especially wheat and corn and so on, knows that most of the planet is on the modified varieties. And this leads me back to what I said at the very beginning of the show. Nothing happens by accident. It's not just greed and power at the top. They do look to the future. They don't make big mistakes. And yet other geneticists, before they started introducing the stuff into the general farming communities across the planet, warned that if everything became the same, the same variety of corn, the same variety of wheat, etc., etc., like one size fits all, and displaced the traditional grains in their own regions, which, which had developed over thousands of years, each one, for that region, then all the wheat and all the corn, etc., would be wiped out. If you have 15 varieties growing in one field, which you used to have across a good part of the world, when something hits it, it wouldn't wipe out all the different varieties. It would, it would wipe out maybe one, and the rest was there to be saved. That was traditional. Now they've all gone to the standard stuff, the whole lot is wiped out. So this was foreseen, as I say, by scientists before they started to hand this out into the communities. And, you know, one of the biggest culprits was the United Nations organization who encouraged the distribution of foods into these countries and so-called third world countries across the world and across the Middle East. And they gave them lots through their NGOs and different groups and charitable groups, gave them all this stuff that was going to be so much easier. And it was for two or three years until 
the effects started to show up. So was this deliberate? Because after all, remember, in warfare, food is one of the primary weapons. It has to make you wonder, doesn't it? It says, UG99 is particularly dangerous because it can infect crops very quickly and releases vast clouds of invisible spores, which can be carried by the winds for hundreds of miles. It's a perfect biowarfare thing, isn't it? Nobel Prize winner Norman Borlaug, who was credited with helping India and other countries avoid famines in the 60s by developing new crop strains, said, this thing has immense potential for social and human destruction. It is capable of severely damaging virtually all of the world's commercial bread wheat. It's a problem that goes far beyond wheat production in developing countries. And on and on it goes. But as I say, this was foreseen by thinking scientists who are not employed by the big boys, famous enough in their own right, that no one wanted to hear the talk because there's an agenda at work, you see. Whenever there's an agenda at work, they'll listen to the scientists that they employ for the agenda, like the IPPC, for instance. That's difference. And I was warned that if it went ahead and did this, this is the result they'd have, and we're seeing it across the world now. In Australia, part of the problem isn't just drought, the fact that they've all been on the GM-modified uh, corn, etc., wheat for years. It was fine for the first few years, like it always is, and then odd things start happening, and they can't withstand dry periods, and so on and so on and so on it goes. And what's also interesting is that off the coast of Norway, as we all know, I'm sure all the listeners know, the you know, the major papers for, for months and months, they keep adding to the stock of the natural grains that they've taken from these little countries. They then dumped in the GMO strains. They've got all the natural stuff there for the future to make sure that someone in the future survives. I wonder who it will be. I wonder who it will be. Quite something. And we've all been through what happened with Ireland with the Lisbon Treaty for the, the EU it was, it was only dissenter supposedly in, in uh, going against this EU charter this final charter of theirs and after, the, after that they were threatened basically by other members of the EU saying all the things that would happen to Ireland would be left behind and all bad consequences would come and very quickly it was followed by a massive contamination of their meat products, because some strange substance, uh, like PCBs, somehow got into all the cattle feed. You know, that, those, those little reconstituted things they sell. It's like dog food in those big bags. So it came from a firm or a company from somewhere, obviously, to get in there. And they had to recall millions of pounds worth, that's dollars, of their food, almost bankrupted the, the farmer. Now, the farmer and the rural people were the ones blamed for not signing the treaty even if we were going against the treaty in the first place. So it's amazing how it hit them first. And then when the economic crash on top of it just to further sink them, although they really were technically bankrupted before. Another fiasco. But this is from Friday, March the 20th, 2009. It says here, from this article I'm reading here, it says, EU leaders agree £5 billion economic stimulus package. Then it says... The German ambassador to Ireland, this is from Irish Times, I think it is, uh, has defended remarks he made at a cultural event in Tralee 
County Kerry, in which he warned of the consequences of a second rejection of the Lisbon Treaty. So here they're being threatened, really. What's a warning and what's a threat? Eh? Christian Pauls was reported to have told an audience gathered for the official launch of a partnership between Tralee and the Frankfurt Hoch-Schlossfest that Ireland would throw away its future that voted no in a second referendum on the treaty. Throw away its future. Ali could not have an a la carte approach to Europe and simply pick and choose what it liked, he said, according to local media reports of the event which took place on Monday. And I'll continue with these little threats in this great democracy because it's a forerunner of what's to come to the Americas, as we can all see coming, actually. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, reading an article from the Irish Times concerning the comments made by the German ambassador to Ireland on them turning down the EU charter and pretty well warning them what's going to happen if they don't sign it the next time around. He says here, he says, the ambassador was also said to have noted that rural regions such as Kerry retained a much higher no vote than urban areas in last year's referendum. It's farming community, you see. He reportedly made pointed references to those who complain about other nations fishing in their waters and forget who pays their milk subsidies. The reason I'm reading this out is that I hope in the U.S. they're understanding what this union of the Americas is going to be. You have no idea of the multi-layered new bureaucracies you're going to have sitting on top of you to do with all transactions and everything that you buy and you sell and where the taxes go and new taxes and how they divided them up to the central, the new central overall government and, and so on. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Who can fish where? Can foreigners come in and fish in your water, etc., etc.? All this goes on and on and on until basically everyone's hamstrung. They can't move without permission from some higher bureaucrat. This is exactly what Carl Jung talked about as early as the 1930s. When he saw, he saw this, and he repeated it again in 1945 and 46. he says, I see the world being stifled by a ring around the world. Later he called it an iron curtain. But the time that the iron curtain was set up at the end of World War II, it's an iron curtain that would literally squeeze the life out of all the inhabitants of the planet. Many people saw this coming because they understood the agenda in their own time. You can't move without permission on anything. This is informed with reports. Yesterday, Sir Paul told the Irish Times that while he could not recall using those exact words, he admitted that he had said something along those lines in the event. The reports make it sound like I was lecturing Ireland in Irish, but it was not meant to be aggressive or demeaning, he said. A second no would have horrific consequences. Horrific consequences for Ireland. Oh, horrific. And I'm not the first to say it. I don't think there's anything particularly new in that. It's quite amazing. You either pay the big boy. It's like the mafia moving in. You either pay the extortion fees and do what they say, and they might leave you a little bit alone, a little bit 
alone, not with everything you're doing, but a little bit of freedom to yourself. That's what it is. That's what power really is, you see. That's what governments actually are. They're fearful masters, as Washington said. And it's up to the public how much of it they'll tolerate. Most of the public is that the ones at the top understand perfectly well will accept anything, including being put into a ditch and shot, if need be. That's happened over and over and over because they will not believe it's really happening to them. We're taught to obey, obey, obey. And since the 50s and 60s and speeding up, you have a, a, really a Western world of perpetual children. Their lives are perpetual childhood. And the media and the education system has ensured that it is so. There's no doubt about that. At one time, you, can, you go to elderly people who were not brought up by television and magazines and the nonsense from Hollywood and so on, in the gossip magazines. And you could sit for hours listening to what they, how they saw the world, because they thought for themselves. They had wisdom to pass on. Now you can go into the old age homes and see the generation that were brought up on TV, and they have nothing to pass on. Their topics are all about their little life themselves, their offspring or family, and what's on TV, etc., the shows that they like watching. All fantasy. It's all fantasy. All fantasy. We forget that. And most people don't know it. The war has been on them since before they were born, and they don't even know it was declared upon them. What we're seeing with people who can't understand what's going on, or they say, I don't want to know, they can't see the... the chemtrails above their heads those people are the casualties of this war that's what you're seeing, the casualties because the intent is after Kostler said and it's admitted now in one of the books I've read recently, it's now declassified he worked for MI5 and MI6 like most of the big authors did he did a lot of predictive programming in his novel works but he also did non-fiction as well he also said that he worked or it was an organization at the United Nations that literally looked into ways of lobotomizing the people, the public of the world. And they had tried all kinds of methods, and the, the one that they thought was the best was a chemical that could be either injected or put into the water, target that part of the brain that makes you you, the part of the brain that gives you your survival capabilities. It says they won't need that anymore because the state will be making all your decisions for you. That was to get world peace. He says it had to be done for world peace. So when you hear the word peace and world peace, you better understand their definition of it. In communism, it meant a lack of all opposition. I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Discussing the various high issues that we're allowed to know about in this day and age. Most of the things that go on, we're not allowed to know about. What we do know is, and I've said this many times, is whenever a bill is put forward, they are a bit suspicious of. You should really, really protest it. Because you'll always find that once it goes through, there's another agenda at work, and it expands to include things that you'd never, ever imagine in your wildest nightmares. Because the bill that was passed recently, I talked about yesterday, to do with mandatory volunteerism for all youth. It's a creation, really, of the sort of brown shirt society. It'll be green shirts, no doubt, this time, with political indoctrination into the youth They'll grow up to be bashing the older ones around, the big truncheons or, or special taser guns or something, whatever they have in, in the very near future, some high-tech stuff. And it's a spy society as well. It's the internal army, really, that Obama was talking about. No matter how you, you, you describe it or what you call it, it's always the same thing. They always go for the youth in a socialist type uh, time. Remember, the socialists and the communists and the fascists are all really one big group. It's one group that uses left and right, left and right, down through the ages to always go in the same direction. And I've said before that Mr. Bush's job was to set up the machinery to get the troops on, on the streets and so on. And everyone spied upon, and Obama's put in to actually use it. And that's why, too, they've decided now to crash the economy. They could have kept the same scam going. I mean, after all, much earlier, you, know, you need to blow a bubble up. They could keep it going for as long as they wanted to. It's always been based on the same thing. But it's now that they want to bring it down, because the whole world is to change with it. And all these new policies from the United Nations are coming into play at the same time. That's your big clue that it's all planned this way. But the one to do, again, with mandatory volunteerism had amendments that were not mentioned to it. And I'll put the links up on my, my site after the show to the amendments. And it's quite interesting because I report the bill that says H.R. 1388, back to the House with Amendment, etc., etc. There's a whole, whole bunch of other bills you see amend, uh, actually tacked onto this. If you're called up for this mandatory service, or if, you, or if you voluntarily join it, you belong to a corps. You see, a corps is a military organization. So you'd be subject to the same conditions as the military. It says here, Section 1304, prohibited activities and ineligible organizations. You cannot join them. They'll tell you what's allowable, what's not. And... It says here, a participant in an approved national service position under the subtitle may not engage in the following activities. Attempting to influence legislation. I guess all all the lobbyist children will be exempt. Organizing or engaging in protests, petitions, boycotts, or strikes. Assisting, promoting, or deterring union organizing. Impairing existing contracts for services or collective bargaining agreements. Engaging in partisan political activities or other activities designed to influence the outcome of an election to any public office. Participating in or endorsing events or activities that are likely to include advocacy for 
or against political parties, political platforms, political candidates, proposed legislation, or elected officials. Here's another one, engaging in religious instruction. Did you know that? Very sneaky, isn't it? Engaging in religious instruction, conducting worship services, providing instruction as part of a program that includes mandatory religious instruction or worship, constructing or operating facilities devoted to religious instruction or worship, maintaining facilities primarily or inherently devoted to religious instruction or worship, or engaging in any form of religious proselytization. That was preaching, converts. Or providing a direct benefit to a business organized for profit. I guess that's the government. A labor organization, a partisan political organization, non-profit organization that fails to comply with the restrictions. In other words, the UN ones are okay. Contained in Section 501C3 of the Internal Revenue Code, etc., etc. But the list goes on and on and on and on. So, they're going to list all the ones that you're ineligible to participate under. There will be exemptions, and there will be the goody two-shoes, the green ones, because after all, they're going to get their instruction from the greenies at the top to be good greenies, that's why. Very sneaky. And that's what I'm saying, you know, how can you fight these kind of things? How can you fight it when most politicians, whether it's in Britain, France, Germany, or Canada, Australia, New Zealand or any of the European countries, the politicians don't even read these massive bills. And, and apart from that, how could you read all of that stuff in a day or two? You can't. It's designed that way. So all the politicians are, are a front organization to pretend that you have something called democracy. That's all. It's pretty sad. Now, on Channel 4... And I'll leave the link up too. There was a member of Parliament denied access. Parliament from Britain. He's been in for about 10 years, I think, called Galloway. And he was denied access to come to Canada to talk because the Jewish Defence League apparently had complained to the Immigration Bureau. And you'll see this exchange of words between Mr. Galloway and uh, the leader of the Jewish Defense League for Canada uh, via Channel 4, between the, the, the mediator and Channel 4. That's quite interesting because um, I think what he's accused of is giving support to Hamas. Uh, Anthony Wedgwood-Ben, that was a, a lifelong politician, uh, has uh, tapes up or, or, and actually videos up, but his interviews with the BBC when he did the same thing, they didn't want him to give up the address of where to send funds or aid to the, the, the survivors in Gaza. And supposedly, um, what Mr. Galloway is accused of, it's hard to tell from this exchange, is supporting Hamas, which is supposedly uh, listed as a terrorist organization. And it's an odd state of affairs because as far as Mr. Ben said, Hamas is the only elected government that they have. It's a, it's, it's one of those grey areas. I'm not an expert in that whole area at all. But however, it's worth seeing the exchange going on. When again, private organisations, private organisations, 
they can demand from the Canadian government who they can let in, who they will not let in. That's maybe the kicker. Now we'll go to the phone calls, and we have Umar from Detroit. Are you there, Umar? Yes, sir. I mean, you got a great show, and I love I listen to it. You about one of the only ones I'm listening to now besides John Lipscomb. You put out some very relevant information. But one thing I think we need to address more is uh, what can we do to circumvent these people? Mm-hmm. Do, uh, don't you think it's anything that can be done? Well, that's that's the big question, isn't it? That's the big question because uh, now, if politics was real and democracy was real, we'd maybe have a chance. But you see, it's not real at all. It's too huge. The candidates are lifers. Like, see, Stonewall Jackson said that he he tried to bring a bill forward to. Uh, stop any any politician getting in for a second term. It'd be four or five years maximum, and you're you're gone. You can never get back into it. When you get lifelong politicians belonging to parties, uh, these people uh, are, are worse than any religious fanatic. Uh, they, it's their party forever, and whatever the top man says is what they will say. And so we we don't really have democracy. We don't have representatives that stand up for their own people in their own area. That's your. That's the problem right there. The whole have idea. You read, yeah, have the you whole, read unintended consequences? Yes. John I'm, Ross. That's probably. That's probably what's going. Something like that's going to have to take place. Yes. Before these. Before these politicians realize that uh, it's the people that's the boss of this country and not them. Uh, well, that's that's, you're, you're right on there because they've spent uh, quite a long time now, maybe since the 50s onwards, on a roll gradually. Um, bringing up again a, a generation, that's all you need, uh, who, who very subtly at first, but on a roll eventually, get conditioned to believe that government is all-powerful and, and that you do what government tells you. There's a limit to what the government is supposed to do. They're supposed to, you're right, they're supposed to be there to serve the people who elect them. And that, that's, that's just like outer space or, or, or the twilight zone. We haven't. I've never seen that in my lifetime. And I got a quick question for you, and then I'm going to let you go. Have you heard of the uh, Neotech? Of the what? Neotech by Frank uh, Wallace. Neotech. Uh, I think I may have, uh, but I'm not quite certain of it. Yeah, it's something like an objectivist uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, some similar to Anne Brand. Yes. They uh, espouse to me a lot of New World Order uh, concepts, like they don't believe in God, they believe, like, believing in God is mysticism, and yes. so on like that, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they they say some good things, but, you know, it's kind of like I'm, like, listening to it, and then I'm like, well, you know, this kind of sounds like something I have heard somewhere else, just like the uh, sight guys uh, yes. thing you talked about the other night. Yes. Yes, you find that they have to do, they have to say things which hook you in that you can relate to. And, right. and then, then they put their twists in there. You're, you're right on. That's how all this, this stuff is given to the public. Well, hey, Alan, I know you're busy and I know there's plenty of people calling you, so I'm going to sign off for now. It's good speaking with you again. Stay strong. Oh, thanks for calling. Call again.
And we've got uh, we've got Rick from California. Hello. Doug here, Alan. Hello. Yes. yes. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. This is in response to to Zeitgeist because uh, I, I after Wednesday's show I went and watched the movie. Yeah. And it reminded me of um, oh, it was like watching H.G. Uh, Wells. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, it was, and one thing they never mentioned in the film was that all the things that that, that the very people that they're bashing, the capitalists are the very ones who are proposing the, the vision that they were proposing. Exactly. Absolutely. And the, the, it's getting around all the topics of, well, uh, how would they get rid of poverty? Um, you, you see these wonderful, shiny, dome-like cities, and, of course, the dome is the end thing for the future of the United Nations. Uh, very few cars on the road. Where's all the people? Uh, it's, it's obviously a much smaller society. What happened to the people? Yeah, yeah, they don't talk about how they got, you know, that they were sterilized or... You know, they got killed off. They don't. They don't even mention that. But you know, this guy. He seemed creepy too. The guy who was part of the Venus Project. I like. I wonder who they're funded by. You know. Yes. Well, it will be. It'll be somebody that, that loves them. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one. One other thing I wanted to mention is I bought a book recently uh, by by um, uh, Malthus, and, and it had an introduction, and I started reading like the first cha- couple chapters and. There were the philosophers who influenced Malthus, and one of them was called Wallace, I think, in England. Yeah. And he was saying he was saying that that a, a lifestyle where people are decadent produces less population. That's correct. That's you know. correct. They understood that by watching. See, Rome. Part of the, Rome eventually was so decadent, uh, even amongst the aristocracy that produced the ruling class. They, they passed laws to make them breed with them with each other because. Um, uh, that they were turning into deviant uh, ways, uh, more women with women and men with men, and having no children to take over. Uh, so they understood this from ancient history, and these guys do nothing but, but study history to learn. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the Bible. You know, it seems like the Bible, like a lot of the rules in there about sex and stuff, are geared toward the elite almost. It seems like a eugenics book sometimes when you read it, you know? Yes, well, the Bible is a genetics book. It starts off with gene, Genesis, you know? Mm. And uh, it's all begatting who begats who to create um, a special people. I mean, that's what it's about, you know. And uh, that's nothing new in ancient times because, again, even the pharaohs sometimes married their sisters to keep everything in the family, um, keep all the power there. Uh, and, and even before that, we know that Sumer was doing the same thing. So elite families have always been uh, into... Uh, Special breeding, selective breeding, specially selected by priesthoods who kept the genealogies for them. You know. And that's what you have today. I mean, who picks the kings and queens even for Europe? I can remember when Prince Charles was suddenly came in the limelight as being the most eligible bachelor on the planet as he tried to build up an image for him. And when they, they eventually found uh, uh, Diana... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was said that she was chosen for him. He never knew her. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So, All right, you got a lot of callers, so I'm going to let you go, Alan. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's astonishing, but nothing's really new. It's just her perceptions are distorted through propaganda until we don't recognize the same thing down through time. And... Um, Another thing, too, I'll put a link up on Channel 4 to do with Mr. Bush's last speech he gave, his farewell address. It's actually it's incredibly funny because, I mean, he, he's, he's been quite a, quite a character for his statements. And he did say, 
uh, he, he said this actually, he says, um, this was in was it January, I think it was, 12th of January, 2009. In the last press conference of his administration, George Bush describes his failure to find any weapons of mass destruction. So he, he, he says in Iraq, as a, he, said, he, said, he called it a significant disappointment. <laughs> say that too. You see all the photographs of the slaughtered people and the bodies across the plains? It, it was a, a significant disappointment, he says. In what Mr. Bush called the ultimate exit interview, he also admitted that flying a mission accomplished banner aboard a U.S. aircraft carrier was a mistake. After eight years, which will be remembered for its disastrous foreign wars and economic crisis of global proportions and the most unpopular presidency in living memory, this was President Bush's final chance to set his record straight. So I'll put the link up and you can, you can have uh, a kind of uh, sardonic chuckle. It's this because there's really nothing to laugh at, is there? There's nothing really to laugh at at all. And we've got Vince from Newfoundland. Are you there, Vince? Yes, I'm there. Yes, go ahead. I uh, just wanted to say thanks for everything that you've done. And I'd like to tell everyone to do whatever you can to help keep Alan going. Uh, me and my friend had a flea market about a month ago, and we tried to raise some money. And uh, I say most people could, you know, just sell all their stuff that they don't need anymore and just help Alan out. Yeah, that's that's. A, I'm glad you called and told them that because I, I always forget to see that myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, could, could could I go to you know after the commercial? Sure, just hang on. I'll okay. get back to you after this break. Through the Matrix, and we're talking to Vince from Newfoundland. Are you still there, Vince? I'm still there. Yes, go ahead. I uh, just wanted to say also that you know, if you donate, you can order uh, Alan's books, and I will tell you they, they just change your mind. And uh, that's the basis of my next two questions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think the first one is, is, is pretty simple. Um, based on what I've learned about your way of Kind of teaching how to think like a mason, kind of you know their their language and their coding. Mm -hmm. I thought of the word icon, and I thought like isn't the con of the I? Would yeah. that be some kind of a yeah. code there? Everything that begins with con, and unfortunately even constitution, it's a statute ah. of the con. It's like the, the, the statute is a con. Uh, there was even debates okay. about constitutions in American after their their, their, their war because. Uh, they understood that that how could any other party give the people rights or freedoms? They were self-evident. You wouldn't need it written down. If it's written down, lawyers can go to work on it and change it. If it's in the minds and the hearts of the people, the people can always stand up for it. It's a psychological twist. Yeah. All psychology. And the same with the money thing. I mean, here you have Madoff. You made off with the money. And then you have the guy that the Congress or the Treasury puts in charge of distributing all the cash from the taxpayer to the bankers. And his, his name is Cash Carry. <laughs> and then there's another guy involved who's called Conway in the same scam, the way of the con. You know? I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up in a comedy. It's right oh. there. But that's what they give us. That's what they give us for mainstream media. Yeah. And it's all over. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things, and my favorite show is Family Guy, but it's all over Family Guy. Yes. All these characters' names, like Peter Griffin. Like just, I was just reading about the Griffin in your book. Yes. Yeah. About what that represents, and... You can just mm -hmm. go on and on and on. 
That's right. And, and even the old stuff they used to give us, um, Andy, Andy Griffin was Andy of Mayberry, the, the berry of May, May Day, you know. May Day's the big thing in the old cults. Uh, I mean, we, we watch all this stuff, and the ant was Ant B, you know, the, the, the busy bee. And uh, we sit and laugh at this stuff. We don't even realize these are all Masonic uh, jokes. Yeah. It is, and I just picked up a bottle of Arizona iced tea that said that it's made from Sue um, honey. Yes. I just thought of it as a, a very Masonic name as well, but I wasn't yeah. sure what it meant. Mm-hmm. But anyway. it's, it's fascinating, utterly fascinating. And, and that's what they mean. When even, see, they give you the rules in the Old Testament that the, every word will condemn you. If you don't, don't understand what you're saying in a court, you'll be condemned. You're condemning yourself. You think you're talking normally. <laughs> Naturally, you're condemning yourself. That's why they have lawyers. Yes. My friend's father's a lawyer, and I can tell by how uh, careful he speaks to normal people that it just passes from his job into real life. Yes. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I got one more thing. If it's something that I think is important and that you could touch on that you mentioned in your books about the binary logic, mm-hmm. and to me it seems like just just that alone and so subtle can really uh, kind of dumb people down. I guess. Yes. Make them think, oh, it's either this or that. You're either with us or you're with the, I hate to say it, the T word, but, you know. Yes. Uh, so well, you, you, take, you take binary, you've you got binar, which is rabbin backwards, a rabbin. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Like a priest is someone who wears a woman's dress. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he is basically the zero and the one, the one zero. But uh, I hear the music coming in, and this hour is rushed in again like it always does. So, so call again. Okay, thank you. And uh, from myself uh, in Hamish, Frontier, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.